happy Pride Month, everyone. I am happy to be celebrating this year with a sense of pride. Pride in who I am. Pride in what I stand for. Pride in causes that I have chosen to uphold. And pride in being part of the LGBTQ community. Before I decided to disclose my sexuality to my community, I remember talking with a friend about how reluctant I felt to join another cause. I remember sharing, I want to disclose my identity, but I don't want to fight. Not one more battle. As a woman, I've always felt compelled to add my voice to the pursuit of equality for women. With the pending overturn of Roe v. Wade, the choir of voices coming together as one is more important now than ever. And more than just for cisgender women, but for transgender men and non-binary individuals who need access to reproductive health care just as badly. As a woman of color, I feel the need to add my voice to the conversations around racism, again, a pertinent issue given the recent Buffalo shootings motivated by racial hatred. Those two issues alone could consume my whole identity. To add one more fight, one more cause to be part of, one more intersection at which I would face discrimination felt like it would be the death of me. But I'm here to share today that it's been the life of me. It has brought me into a sacred community that I enjoy and adore and learn so much from every day. A lot has changed since last year, so much for all of us. So let's begin this month with a little bit of reflection, along with celebration that we've made it this far. You can take pride in who you are. And my hope for everyone listening to this podcast is that we not only survive, but thrive. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Imago Gay, a play on the term Imago Day because the dignity of LGBTQ lives matter. Happy Pride Month, everyone. And today I have a special guest, spiritual care provider Roxanne. I'm back. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and we will be kicking off this Pride Month discussing sexuality from the lens of the female gaze. Very interesting. Very so much so. Yeah. Well, <laughs> before we get started, though. So, Curious. Last Pride Month, you come out, your world changes. Destroyed. Yes. <laughs> Happy anniversary to me. Exactly. How are you feeling? How proud are you feeling? Such a loaded question. How do I answer this question from the lens of the female gaze? Well, yeah. I'm going to try. <laughs> I want to stay on theme somehow. <laughs> I think it's interesting in the sense that now that I'm working full-time and in a new community, well, one, it would be illegal <laughs> to fire me on the basis of my sexuality. How bizarre is that? Wow. <laughs> you mean it's illegal to do that here? <laughs> I feel you know. so loved already. <laughs> Feeling very much loved already. <laughs> and I think that that's cool in its own right to know like mm -hmm. the world is not as bizarre as the church is. But also to know that people are still wrestling with church issues, even who are 
in secular spaces. Like people have an issue with the church. <laughs> we have a bad reputation. And just hearing people talk about their own hurt in church experiences, but to be in a community that values diversity, that values sexual divergence, right? That they're proud to talk about their gay friends. <laughs> uh, that's a source of like, okay, I'm in, right? I think that that's actually been a very different experience that I've very much enjoyed and has shown me how maybe depressed I've been during the months before all of that. And so it's been a journey. It's been definitely a journey. Yeah, I don't see how it couldn't be, right? And also transition alone. Transitions have a way of gifting us something new, but also helping us let go of something old, yeah. right? That there's always an exchange in every transition. And there's the grief of it all. And there's the excitement of the new yeah. about your story. And I'm sure the contrast has its own healing power. And... There's something to grieve there, too. Yeah. Yeah. For things like diversity and inclusion, people want your input now because that's something that they value. Yes. And so I think it's just been a very contrasted journey to, to what the church environment is. Exactly. So to summarize the last year, if you could summarize it in one word, what would that word be? Angry. So... I, for those of you who did not know, I have been writing in my journal for years now saying, this is the year that I write my book. This is the year I write my memoir. This is, and I was looking at my journal from like 2019. And it was like, I'm going to write my book. <laughs> okay, then write it already, lady. <laughs> and so I have been doing the work and writing and putting together this memoir. And I have this friend who's a, a Christian publisher, but it's kind of like on the fringe. They deal with people who are Deals with a lot of church trauma. They're definitely outside of the church, but they're church adjacent. Okay. <laughs> am I a part of that? <laughs> I, I think we're all church adjacent. At I this am point. <laughs> church adjacent. <laughs> and very talented speaker. And we met at this Christian Writers Conference and I helped this person put together a website and we would trade hours. Like, okay, I'm going to do this. Then when I write my book, you're going to be there to give me some feedback, right? And so I recently had him read part of this manuscript. And you have to submit your first three chapters when you quarry for an agent. And third chapter, he loved. <laughs> third chapter was about a period of my life that was like four years ago, right? Yeah. And I think I was able to have so much perspective and wisdom and humor in that part of my life, even when dealing with very hard, difficult topics, stuff that we talk about on the LGBTQ journey to affirming on our last episode, we talked about some of those things and he loved it. He's like, this chapter is better than some of my books on my bookshelf. Great praise. And the first two chapters though, he was like, I sense that you're angry. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, you're right. <laughs> you know, when you think about even the process of grief, you know, he was a chaplain, the five stages of grief, right? Yeah. They're what? Denial, bargaining, anger, depression, acceptance. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we talk about in chaplaincy is that they're not stages as is. They're more of like a spectrum and you flow in between stages at different right. times. And I think you can start off at any stage and... And then move and shift along the way. It's very fluid. Yeah. But yeah, there is 
anger. And, and it's interesting to me because I think the way that things went down, I didn't have time to bargain. <laughs> 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 Can I have my job back? <laughs> I'm not getting anymore. I'll get back in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> right? Which I'm glad because I don't think I would have, but that wasn't a part of my negotiation. So it was just straight to anger. Mm-hmm. And as I'm writing about this part of my life, as much as I think that I'm being objective or that I'm having perspective on it, to me, it just shows, oh, well, this is a part of my journey that hasn't quite healed. That's still really fresh. Mm-hmm. And I think I am very angry. And, you know, anger is not an incredible emotion or uncredible. Yeah. Right. The angry woman, you know, the scorned woman. Let's bring in the female gaze. The female gaze. <laughs> well, the male gaze on angry women is definitely something negative, right? That we should aspire to be docile creatures who are humble and Excuse sweet. Me, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not enraged, <laughs> slashing your tires. <laughs> oh, that's what men do. <laughs> if you're a woman, you're crazy for doing that. <laughs> And I, and I think that, you know, I even told somebody in my office about the, the critique that I got that my chapters were angry. And they were like, I don't know. I like angry women. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's just because this person's a guy that he has a problem with that. I was like, you know, I never thought about that. But at the same time, I do understand where that critique was coming from. But I think that for me was a great reflection on you're still very angry <laughs> about all this stuff. And the truth is, is that I am, you know. But it's something that we try to hide because we think the angry person is unflattering. How to not be in con- entire self-control, that that's plebeian. Right. I think it's the both and of it all. Yes, you are upset. And what a natural, perfectly okay emotion. And you deserve to feel angry for the injustices against you. And I think... In my work of what I do with patients, a lot of people, especially in Christian communities, feel a lot of shame around their anger. Hmm. And then the emotion holds so much power, right? Because when you don't allow something to just kind of naturally take its course, you stop it mid-track, you try to bury it within you, and you try to skip through it, what it does is just snowballs into something bigger and bigger and bigger. And and then it comes out in the most unexpected ways. Right? Mm-hmm. Bottled up emotion is not meant to be held in the body that way. Yeah. And so I think that... Mine was about a year long, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Still temporary, probably. <laughs> no, but like the fact that you have laughter available to you, right? Mm-hmm. That emotion per se is nothing bad. It's just an expression. It's just a reflection of where you're at. So the both and being... Yes, I am upset, and it's part of my story, and it's not something to also hide and be ashamed of. Yeah. The invitation might have been more to nuance it with something other than just the anger, which you do have available. There's a lot of other emotion that comes up. There's even joy. Yeah, and I think that that's probably the other side that I'm getting to is the joy piece. I think the one thing that I've heard across the board from LGBTQ people in the church who have had similar situations like I have, they just want the opportunity to thrive, right? They're saying, please don't make life harder than it already is. I want the opportunity 
to live a well life and to stop making barriers of entry towards that. Right. So, yes, looking at the female gaze and continuing the conversation, something that's happening, and by the time this airs, I don't know where we'll be, but there was that leaked document from the Supreme Court looking to overturn Roe v. Wade. And I think for me that sent a lot of ripples into my own life, my own reflections. Secular society has often been safer than the church, right? It has been this acknowledgement of equality for women. It has been this acknowledgement very recently of LGBTQ rights and the right to marriage and equality, that these laws were set in place for protection of, of minorities, protection of people who might otherwise be targeted. And I think the potential of this reversal has really got me questioning of like, you know, is the society going to turn back into an unsafe place if this actually goes through and women are no longer federally protected in this way? It is incredibly frustrating, you know. I think my own experience of seeing how LGBTQ people are treated in the church contrasted with the liberty you experience in society and then to see society slowly turn back into an environment that's as toxic as the church it just makes me think, okay, what do I have to do? <laughs> because I just can't imagine that type of decline, you know? Yeah, it's hard to have hope for your safety and for a collective moral agreement when these basic human rights the dignity of a people, right? And that women can choose what to do with their own bodies can be... Taken away. Yeah. Maybe if I was a guy and I was white, this decision would mean nothing to me. Probably I'd feel very righteous, right? I'm saving babies. That's, yeah. I'm sure that's what the dialogue is internally. But for a woman who knows that her right to do with her body is something that somebody else can choose for her. It's like, well, this is the beginning of what? This is patriarchy, audience. <laughs> <laughs> to say you don't have autonomy, you don't have volition, you don't have a will. You don't have agency over yourself, right? And I think that that's a huge issue, you know, when especially for laws like this. And it's something I haven't heard talked about a lot is the female gaze, Right. You brought up a, a good definition of what the female gaze is for those who might not know what that is. Yeah, I will read it. It says, the female gaze is a feminist theory term representing the gaze of the female spectator, character or director of an artistic work. But more than the gender, it is an issue of representing women as subjects having agency. As such, all genders can create films with a female gaze. So this is a film terminology, but I feel like it's so pertinent in actual life when we're talking about things like female agency or especially sexuality. Because for film, for example, the male gaze is a term to describe how men objectify women in film, right? And it's given from what men find sexually attractive or what men find appealing for a movie. But for me, I think it was really difficult 
journey to define my sexuality because it didn't show up in the way that men's sexuality shows up, right? My attraction to women is not a male gaze version of attraction to women. It's not like, woohoo, you know, like whistle, <laughs> awooga. <laughs> Even though like I might find somebody very stunning uh, in that way. But attraction for me and sexuality lives very deeply in the emotional sphere and in that connection. Because I haven't had a lot of people talk about the way that sexuality shows up for me, I think it's been very difficult to identify my sexuality. It's not so obvious. I think couples who are married might be able to identify because they might have gone to counseling and the counselor might have said, I don't know why my wife doesn't want to have sex with me. Well, have you tried talking and connecting with her? <laughs> and it's like, well, what does that have to do with sex, right? <laughs> well, a lot of women's sexuality live in that space, in that sphere. And I'm curious about like, have you encountered that where it's been kind of difficult to define or did yours show up in a more obvious way? Hmm. Interesting. You know, I think that when I talk about attraction, it really does stem from a moment where this person said something that I thought was very insightful and allowed me to see them in a different light. My attraction grew as the conversation unfolded. Right. It's not that I don't find people beautiful and stunning, but I don't find that it often happens that way. And though initially I may not have found them attractive, suddenly in this conversation, I'm starting to notice their eyes. I'm starting to notice these physical features. I'm focusing more on the visual side, but only because there was a connection there that kind of sparked that interest. Hmm. I think maybe movies have taught me what to think when I am attracted to somebody, right? Right. That the male gaze has kind of informed my internal narrative or made me feel like there was something wrong with the expression of my sexuality because it didn't appear the way that it was told in film through mm -hmm. the male gaze. You know, I didn't look or feel the way the female character was supposed to mm -hmm. feel when she's in love. Or I didn't look and feel the way the male character was portrayed when he was in love. I felt a combination of things and not always at the time where the story would tell. It, it's when yeah. I'm supposed to feel that. So I think trying to discover that on my own, but also under the shade of shame where I don't allow myself to fully explore it, just created a lot of confusion and more questioning. And I think it was easier for me to ignore, hmm. move past for a lot of my life. Yeah, I think it's interesting too, being a bisexual versus being a monosexual. Even the story of monosexuals usually has started off on a bisexual journey and then ended until actually, no, I really do like this other thing. I think some people say that bisexuality doesn't really truly exist, but for those of us who do believe that it does, I think it's very interesting, especially when you're working from a framework where one part of you is accepted, heterosexuality. It is much easier to deny those other parts of you and for it to remain underdeveloped, especially in something like a church setting where it's like, how will I even begin? Especially if a church is saying, don't have sex until you get married. Well, well but marriage against a woman is wrong. How will you ever even know? if you, <laughs> right? How will you ever even begin to identify those things within yourself? 
Yeah. Even something like, what is lesbian sex, right? Like, I think that's still such a mystery. Since so many people have put the definition of, like, virginity as penetration by a man, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of non-definitions and non-ways of being able to understand what female sexuality looks like, especially in a lesbian relationship. It's not a mainstream. The female gaze towards another woman (laughs) is not a mainstream idea. Now, I have seen a few films that I feel like, okay, I think they're capturing something here. And I think one of them was A Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I thought they did that film really well because it had this emotion. But of course, these are all set in like the 1800s and it's super sad because they can never actually truly live that lifestyle out. But the fact that there's not a lot of representation for what that looks like can be very difficult. Yeah, and I think when you're young, and I mean, we all dream when we're young. I think that's one of the things that I miss the most. Not that I'm too old to dream, but that certain things in your life fall into place and you start to get a real understanding of what your life looks like and certain accomplishments start to fill in those holes that were once set aside for dreams only. And when you're young and you're looking to formulate these dreams, you don't have many examples of the things that you actually crave. You start to think of other things that are within your reach. And one of the biggest sacrifices in my life is I had all these dreams around having a hetero marriage because I thought that was the only thing that was attainable to me. Mm that I didn't spend time fantasizing about homo marriage. I I didn't even have examples that I could aspire to. I I look at some of the content that's available for young persons now, and I wish the younger version of me had access to this, had access to this and would have known that it's okay. 18 seasons of the L word. (laughs) (laughs) So I think there was a lot of toxicity mounted on to kind of any expression of my sexuality that wasn't hetero. Yeah. And I think there was a lot of judgment upon myself because it wasn't fitting into the box of what the male gaze looks like, that it must, like, because I'm not objectifying women, (laughs) throwing dollars at them, like, that must mean that maybe I'm not actually bi. Mm. And to realize like that I have deep attraction and that it does show up even in these sexual ways, but it stems from this space of feeling seen, a feeling valued, affect the anger part. As a woman, it's hard to feel seen as a person. The male gaze puts so much uh, on top of you, the fair maiden who needs to be rescued. There's so many different prejudices that are there that you just kind of have conversations where even if you're with a partner, sometimes they're just missing you Mm. and you don't feel seen or you feel interchangeable. Like because that person doesn't see you, then you're pretty much interchangeable with any other person. And in my experiences, the height of attraction has been like really feeling seen, heard, understood, loved. And how valid is that as an expression of sexuality? Here's the thing that the male gaze has done is also parse sexuality into sexual acts. And I think that it is so embedded into the human psyche 
that everything, even smell, like all of the senses of the person's expressions are also an expression of their sexuality. Mm. So vulnerability, feeling naked, even though not in a physical way, but an emotional way, is also a highly sexual space. Right. We talk about emotional intimacy and is it cheating when somebody's being emotionally intimate with somebody else? And I think it just depends on your perspective, on your gaze. On and that's the world. what's so funny. It's like the church has created a culture where it's like, it's okay to be platonic lesbians because, oh, you can have everything that you want in a friendship, but you just can't have sex with them, not knowing that a woman's sexuality is in that emotional space. <laughs> it's like, okay. And a man's too. Don't tell sure. me about bromance. Yeah. <laughs> Don't even get me started on how men love men right. more than they love women. <laughs> they objectify women. Right. Man, I've been watching a lot of TikToks lately on that. But And, th- and this is not all men. We get it. Like No. Of, of course. course. There are some wonderful men listening, <laughs> who, who do see their female partners in their life or their queer partners. And that's a wonderful and beautiful thing. But I think the point making here is there's so many things that happen in our culture and in structures and institutions like Roe versus Wade, the church, <laughs> you know, that make me feel as a woman very unseen and trying to to create a narrative where I have agency over my life and I have agency over my sexuality and I have agency over my identity can sometimes be challenging, especially when you don't have a framework or models or a very strong presence to help you validate what it is that you're feeling is something that is real. Yeah. Right? We, we don't see intimacy and sexuality expressed through the female gaze in film as often. It's not something society has learned. And the thing is, when we're talking about sexuality in general and gender roles, which we're not trying to do here in this conversation, we're strictly referring to the female gaze and the male gaze as ways of how the culture has created expectations for both men and women, both in how they look to receive affection and look to express affection. Yeah. And sometimes when you don't feel like you match those, there's kind of this distortion. You don't have examples or the validation, like you said, to really own the ways that you do actually feel it. Right. And I think it's a call to society to realize that we have all these influencers, especially through film, telling us, you know, what our roles were supposed to be, how we were supposed to think how we were supposed to express ourselves. And it's okay to take a step back and trust that how you feel is an authority enough. Right. You are your own authority on what your sexuality looks like. And it's okay to be confused because I think it's a journey for a lot of us. I just wonder too, I think looking back on my life, I've experienced that type of sexuality from a very young age. And the kind of intense, intimate, emotional friendships that I had. And I just wonder what my life would have been like if I were able to validate that as more than just a friendship. So that's pretty much it. I just wanted to talk a little bit about that particular piece about the female gaze. I think that's why it's so important to watch queer media. 
you know, get on gay TikTok, <laughs> um, like watch the L word, watch pose, find and seek out these types of media to help because they're telling a story that hopefully you can see yourself in, in a way that is validating to yourself to say, oh, okay, that's me. Or maybe that's not me. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think my biggest realization in this conversation is that somebody is interested in me being a submissive person in society. Mm. And it's not just my male counterparts. It's also impacted by my church and the way power is held. Mm. And so when you remove power from females, you're removing it at different layers, not just political not just religious, but it just it breaks down to the individual. So yeah. they lose power even within themselves. Their own agency. Their own agency. To, to trust your own sexuality. Yeah. Like that's how losing power at the political level mm-hmm. to then losing power at the household level mm-hmm. to then losing it to the point where you don't even trust yourself. Yeah. And so... Female empowerment is just fighting for a sense of equality, not supremacy. Thanks so much for listening in. Imago Gay is a podcast where we explore queer questions and a colorful God. In addition to curious conversations, I'm so grateful to be here with you this Pride Month, celebrating how far we all have come in our journeys. If you're enjoying this content, please be sure to rate the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcast and share this episode with a friend. If you want to follow our guest today, spiritual care provider Roxanne Del Valle, you can do so on Instagram at Roxanne Marie. If you'd like to reach me, you can write me at Kendra Arsenal with an X on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow our sponsors today, Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship International. And be sure to sign up for their newsletters where you will get the latest updates on queer news and happenings. This episode was created by yours truly and engineered by Ari Bates, Aberration Film Productions, and sponsored by Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship International. Mm-hmm.